0: Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. My name is Reverend Angel Wise, and I'll be your host. I am an ordained licensed minister, a spiritual guide, and life coach. I firmly believe that the divine works through people every day to help us. These angels and saints are so very humble, many of us don't know they exist or existed. Each week, we'll explore the lives of these amazing beings. We will also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith. This show is also non-denominational and inclusive, so it is a safe place for everyone, regardless of what you believe or don't believe. So be sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, wait, 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 hey, who are you? Are you new to the show? Welcome, come on in, <laughs> welcome everyone. If you're new to the show, infinite thanks for finding us. It is my deepest, hope and sincerest prayer that you find everything that you're looking and searching for in a faith-based podcast here and more. And if you're returning, infinite thanks, blessings and love for being a longtime listener and follower of the show. And for you, all of your love and support, it is because of you that this show is here. How's everyone doing? I so hope and pray you've all had a good week, if not a wonderful and blessed week, and that you're having a good weekend if you are in your weekend. Um, and thank you again for tuning in. I know I've been saying this lately, but every show that we're doing now is just literally it's just blowing my mind. And, and today's is really, really, really mind-blowing. Um raise your hand. How many of you have heard of Tamav Irene? And Tamav is an Arabic word that means mother. So how many of you have heard of Mother Irene? Yeah, I don't I don't see many at all. So today we're going to be learning about um Mother Irene her life, and the many, many miracles that she performed during her life. But before we begin her story, I have two disclaimers to give. The first disclaimer is, this is going to be a long show. So I highly recommend that if you don't have the time to sit down and listen to it now in full, that you download it to your phone or your tablet or your computer. And that way you can pick at it here and there. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, I love to listen to podcasts in my car when I'm driving to work or driving home. Um, to me, that's one of my favorite times to get my information and, um, to educate myself is, you know, through the audio format is through podcasts and you just download them to your phone or to your uh, tablet or computer and you just listen to them anytime you want. And the second disclaimer is. Warning, warning, the following, the following could be considered be considered un tasked. And folks, that's a great understatement, to say the least. So I'm going to give you all just a little snippet of information here before we get into um, her story and her life and miracles. It says Tamav, again, that's an Arabic word for mother, and I'll be using mother from here on out. So Mother Irene was born in 1936, and she passed in 2006. She was the late abbess of the old Cairo convent of Philopater Mercurius, commonly known in Arabic as Abu Sifin, or the One with Two Swords. She was consecrated a nun on the 26th of October, 1954, an abbess on the 15th of October, 1962, and she departed this life for heaven on the 31st of October, 2006. So that makes the month of October her month. So Mother Irene, for those of you who aren't familiar with her, Um, She is a Coptic mother, a Coptic nun. And those of you who have been listening to the show for any period of time should remember our show on Father Lazarus L. Antony, Season 3, Episode 15. He is a Coptic monk. And Mother Irene is a Coptic nun and abbess, meaning she's in charge of a convent and a group of nuns. So the article I'm going to be sharing with you all is quite extensive. It's actually 50 pages. I know stay listening. Don't run away from me because believe me, time is going to go by so fast that you're not going to realize this show was that long because I'm serious. Her her story is so freaking fantastical. It really, really is. So I will have a link to that, of course, in the show notes. So it says a little bit before the 1940s, Fawzia, F-A-W-Z-I-A, which was her birth name, was born to pious parents, Yassa and Genevieve, who were leading a deep spiritual life and were adorned with many virtues, especially charity. When Genevieve was in labor, she suffered greatly. Mata, her mother, quickly headed to St. George's Church in Tata to pray and ask for the intercession of St. George. Meanwhile, Genevieve prayed tearfully, asking For the intercession of the Virgin Mary, suddenly amid her pains, the room was filled with a bright heavenly light and the Mother of God appeared with Saint George. Saint George moved, or excuse me, George moved forward and lightly tapped three times on Genevieve's back. Immediately, Genevieve gave birth to the beautiful child, Vasio. Carrying the newly born on her arms, the Virgin made the sign of the cross and addressed her mother, saying, She is not yours. She is ours. But take good care of her and bring her up properly. Holy smokes. She ain't even born. She's not even born yet. And you have not only the mother of God show up, but you've also got St. George as well. Holy moly. One gives the blessing, the baby's born, and the other one, oh my, geez, Pete's. The the mother of God, blessed Virgin Mary, however you want to call her, whatever you want to call her, the Theotokos, blessed, blessed Mother Irene. Holy moly. Those words made her parents think that she will not live for long. So they showered her with love and tenderness all the time and hardly ever refused anything she asked for. Later, when Fazia was being baptized by Bishop Bautros, B-O-U-T-R-O-S, of Akhmim and Sahag, at the monastery of Abba Shanot, the Archimandrite, Archimandrite, excuse me, I should know that one, Bishop Boutros saw the patron saint of the monastery, Saint Shanot, blessing the child, as he was taking her out of the baptismal font. Again, the family saw the divine grace that surrounded their eldest daughter. Holy moly, here's number three, now Saint Chanel. Goodness. Eight to 12 months later, during a visit to Genevieve's parents, and while they were spending some time on the roof, Genevieve carried her daughter, who was persistently trying to free herself and crawl on the floor. Genevieve resisted. She was used to giving Fazia a bath twice per day, and if the little girl gets herself dirty, this means an extra bath. But grandmother said, why don't you leave her to play on the floor? There is no harm in an extra bath. That reminds me of my mom and my sister, because my mom would do that with my sister when she was little. Anytime she'd get dirty, mom would have to clean her up right away. All of a sudden, while Fazia was playing on the ground, she screamed, and her body turned as cold as ice, and she lost consciousness. Her grandmother hurried to find a doctor. He thought that she might have been dead. Or, excuse me, she thought she might have been dead. Meanwhile, Genevieve saw a scorpion on the floor and realized what had happened and cried out to Saint Chanel for help. Immediately, she saw the saint flying towards Fazia, taking her In his arms, he blew on her face and made the sign of the cross on her forehead and addressed Genevieve, saying, Do not be afraid. She is ours. Immediately, the child regained consciousness, and again, life ran through her veins. That day was regarded as her new birthday. She is ours, the words echoed in her parents' minds. She will not live for long. Heaven will take her back. Since that day, the family vowed to visit annually the monastery of Abba Shenout, carrying many gifts with them. Abba Shenout accompanied Fazia until she joined the convent and all throughout her monastic life. Later, Genevieve and Yasa gave birth to four girls and two boys. They all got married except one girl who joined the convent of St. Philopater Mercurius and became a nun too. From the cradle, Genevieve nurtured her daughter with the true orthodox faith, the practices of piety. Fazia later, Mother Irene, recollects, my mother taught me how to pray and prostrate myself, which is called matania, or yeah, matania. I used to sneak into her room and watch her saying her midnight prayers and all the hourly prayers from the... Agpeya, each in its due hour. So Matea and um, is a prostration. It's lying on, on the floor in the front with the face, looking down as an act of uh, worship and respect. Those of you who have seen the Man of God uh, movie, um, please, if you haven't, go check that out. It's free on Tubi right now, T-U-B-I. Um about the life of St. Nectarios, you'll see St. Nectarios did, like, infinite prostrations all of the time. And if you're from the Eastern faith, you know already what a prostration is, and I'm sure you do many, many a day. So the Akpeya is a book of daily prayers, and the sequence of the prayers runs as follows. It's got vespers that you do at sunset, Compline that you do before you go to sleep. There's midnight prayers. There's matins that you do at dawn. First hour of prayers is at 7 p.m. Third hour of prayers is at 9, or excuse me, 7 a.m. Third hour of prayers is at 9 a.m. Sixth hour of prayers is at noon. Ninth hour of prayers is at 3 p.m. So her parents practice this daily their entire lives. And I hear so many people talk about, I don't have time to pray. How do you think these people did it? You know, they're very hardworking people, but of course they didn't have technology. They didn't have the cell phone distractions and interwebs distractions. So, you know, they were one up on us on that, weren't they? So Mother Irene writes, the first time I saw my mother prostrating herself, I cried and screamed at her as she stood up and kneeled down. She stopped praying and hugged me, patting my shoulder. She said, I am kneeling down to Jesus, our Father and Lord. I asked her, why are you doing so? She said, do the same as what I am doing. I started to prostrate myself like her. Later, I joined her at the times of prayer that were many a time accompanied with tears streaming over her cheeks. From my early childhood, I learned to pray with a contrite heart and pouring my soul into Matanius is carved deep inside me. On a cold night in Kyak, which is the fourth month in the Coptic calendar, roughly December between December 10th and January 7th, I saw my mother looking out through the window that faced the church of St. George and Gerga. I asked her, why are you standing there? She helped me stand on a chair next to her and said, do you hear the prayers? I told her, yes, I do. We stood there and heard a magnificent mass from the very beginning and until the very end. Sometimes we could hear those consoling Masses more than once per night. One day my mother asked the priest of the church why he held Masses late at night, but his answer was that he never did. When my mother confirmed that she heard prayers at night, he told her, You are lucky. Those are the SOWAH, S-O-W-A-H, who are holding Masses. God has given you the privilege of hearing them. Soa uh, is uh, with the anchorites in the ascetics who have exalted spirituality and who have been endowed with levitation and movements in distant places like by location, like um, uh, St. Padre Pio. They defy time and location. They usually meet together and hold masses in churches at night when they are empty. Isn't that wow? That is just amazing. Here her mother's looking out the window and, you know, little mother Irene is like, you know, what, what are you doing? Why are you looking out the window? She's like, I, I hear these prayers here and lifted her up and she heard the service as well. So these are mystics and soon to be saints and probably saints who have passed that meet in a different plane, a different dimension at night and hold mass together. And they meet in churches that aren't busy at the time. So what's the best time? Midnight thereafter, unless it's Christmas mass, which is midnight. But other than that, I mean, any time of night is a great time to hold a mass in an empty church. And that's exactly what these amazing beings do. But hang on to that. Hang on to Soa, because it comes in again later in Mother Irene's story. Mother Irene relates to us her childhood experiences and how intimate was her mother's relation with the Virgin Mary. She says, one day when I was very young, boiling water was spilled over my legs and they were all covered with blisters. Despite using various ointments, they never healed. My mother prayed and asked for intercession of the Virgin Mary the Theotokos. Suddenly, I felt a light, gentle breeze of air passing over my legs, and all of the burns and blisters disappeared. I was totally healed. So it's no wonder Mother Irene, I mean, of course, look, she's been blessed how many times by by the Mother of God and how many, Many saints, but it's no wonder she could do miraculous things because her mother's, her mother was able to do that as well. And folks, you all can do this as well. I know you're all saying, no, 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 poo poo on you. This is all fictitious, blah, blah, blah. But no, it's your faith. However strong your faith is, dictates the power that the Holy Spirit gives you. Or the power that the universe gives you. The stronger your faith, the deeper your faith, the more power it will give you. And the more you can do things just like them. And no, I'm not at that level yet. So, no, I, but I'm not poo pooing on it. I'm saying it happens. I firmly believe in this, um, even though I'm nowhere near that level. Maybe someday in some lifetime I will, but. You know, we're working towards that. And that's the important thing is that people like Mother Irene and her mother Genevieve, they inspire us and encourage us, or they should. They should strengthen your faith and really make you go, man, I am wasting some serious, precious time right now. I I need to grab my Bible. I need to grab a sacred text. I need to grab a self-help book. I need to grab the uh, Torah I need to grab the Kabbalah. I need to grab, you know, whatever your faith is and dig deep. And these things can happen to you. Mother Irene recalls another miracle of healing. My mother suffered from frequent pain in her stomach. The physicians of the small town of Gergo were unable to help. She traveled to Cairo, and again, the physicians failed to cure her. She returned to Gerga, still suffering from pain. At that time, she had four children, each only one year older than the other. Our house in Gerga was located next to the Church of the Virgin Mary, and many passers-by were either coming or going to the church. One Sunday morning, I was standing next to my mother in the balcony while she suffered from great pain. Watching the passers-by on their way to and from church, She felt sorry for herself. She was unable to attend Mass or receive communion. I cried when I saw her face flooded with tears. She patted on my head, or excuse me, on my shoulder, consolingly. I told her, Mother, please do not cry. Our Lady, the Virgin Mary, will heal you. That night, she saw in a vision the Virgin Mary dressed in a heavenly blue gown that was adorned with bright stars. Theotokos asked my mother, Why are you crying? My mother replied, My children are still young, and if I die, I don't know who will look after them and bring them up in the true Christian faith. Please, my lady, grant me life until my eldest daughter becomes old enough to look after her brothers and sisters. The mother of light calmed her down, saying, Come with me. I will take you to a good physician. My mother replied, I have to ask my husband for permission first. The Theotokos replied, Would he object if I told him that you are going with me? My mother replied, Of course not. May the peace of the Lord reside in you, lady. Mother of light, the Coptic Orthodox Church of Egypt calls the Virgin Mary the mother of light, mother of Jesus, or who is the light of the world. So my mother left with the Theotokos in a carriage. That was waiting for them. They passed through fields and beautiful green gardens until they reached a huge building. In its hall, there was a room that had a bed and a doctor present. The virgin addressed the doctor saying, come, George, examine her. He replied, but my lady, you know that her case is over. The Theotokos replied, she has asked for my intercession and I have asked my beloved son for her sake, and he has granted her to live for more. Will we leave her ill?" So this brings about a lot of why people uh, are so committed to praying to Mary, the mother of God, the Theotokos, um, the Virgin Mary, again, whatever you want to call her. She goes by many, many names. for intercession, because of her relation, of course, being the mother of Jesus, the mother of God, um, she can ask her son, you know, for intercession for help, and that is exactly what why people are so uh, committed to the Theotokos and pray to her so fervently. And there's infinite, infinite stories of people receiving miraculous cures uh, from from that. So. By you praying the rosary, that's that's one way to do it, or just praying, asking uh, the Theotokos, as, as her mother did for intercession, as Genevieve did. Again, do I believe in this? Absolutely, absolutely. With all of my heart and spirit, I completely believe this. Because, <laughs> although I did not have any visitations by any of these holy beings while I was in a hospital, I felt their presence. I felt their love. I felt their healing. I'll never forget the night before my surgery, which, again, reminder to everyone in the news, to those who are just now tuning in for the first time, I was not supposed to survive. Believe me, if you look at it on paper, everything, literally everything was against me. But I had this calmness about me. And yes, I have years and years and years, you know, like 40 something years of meditation experience. And yes, I was meditating. Yes, I was praying. Um, but this just this, this calmness came over to me like, you know, no matter what, it's going to be OK. You know, and when I got up that morning, you know, like at four o'clock in the morning to prep and get ready for surgery, um, the nurse was asking me, would, would you like a pill or something to relax you? And she said, you don't look very anxious. And I said, no, I, I don't need anything. I'm actually fine. Um, but I'll let you know if something changes. But nothing ever did. And even when they wheeled me down to the operating room, it wasn't quite ready yet. So they Here I am laying on a a gurney out in the hall on a bed out in the hallway waiting for them to prep my room and it's going through my mind. You know, this could be the last moments of your life. And I didn't get anxious. I didn't get afraid. Again, that calm was over me. And yes, I completely 1 million percent believe that it was the saints, the angels, the higher beating beings, the guardians, the guides, ancestors, all of that. So back to the story. As my mother lay on the bed, the virgin asked St. George, that was the doctor, to put his hand on her abdomen. He replied, your hand first, my lady. The virgin placed her hand on the spot of pain, and the great martyr, St. George, put his hand after she did. They pressed bit by bit on the abdomen and the chest until what looked like a ball of rotten meat came out of her mouth. They put it in cotton wool and placed it in my mother's hands. This is the cause of your illness, they said, and then took her back home. Now think about this, folks. Here is Genevieve, and you know she knows the area. She knows probably everybody in the town and then some and everybody in the surrounding towns because communities were very, very, villages were very, very small back then. And everybody knew everybody. So she would have known who was driving the carriage. She would know probably the name of the horse pulling the carriage. She didn't. She would know this building that the Theotokos took her to and the place where it was located. She didn't. So that's just, wow, that's just mind blowing in and of itself. And then here they pray. And they actually physically touch her and this ball of probably something cancerous comes out of her mouth. And they wrap it in cotton and give give it to her like like they put your tonsils in a jar and give it to you to take home. Here, they give her this and say, here. As soon as she arrived home, she woke us all up and related to us what had happened with her. She also showed us the ball of meat in cotton wool. Immediately, our father asked us to join him in a hymn of praise to the Theotokos, and a hymn of praise to St. George the Great Martyr, which is a doxology. Oh, and the hymn to the Theotokos was the Theotikia, T-H-E-O-T-E-K-I-A. All of this is in the, um, the article, folks, and it's actually a small book um, that you can check out, and I'll have a link to it. The PDF file. Um, you can pull it up on your phone or your tablet and, and read it, or you can download it and read it later and keep it. It's, it's this, I highly recommend reading, studying, and contemplating and praying with this story. Genevieve lived for many years and gave birth to other children. She lived as long as she had requested until her eldest daughter, Fawzia, later Mother Irene, grew up and joined the convent. All of the children saw in their parents a living example of love and prayer and witnessed their strong relationship with saints. Fazia's parents and grandparents were very generous to the poor, added to the money and goods that they gave them. When Genevieve cooked for her family, she always made enough to keep a share for the poor. When her daughters returned back from the Catholic nuns' school of Gerga, she used to send them with cooked food, to the poor families' homes and give each according to their needs. This done, the family gathers around lunch and enjoy the gratitude to the Lord. One day, one of her daughters asked, Mother, isn't the money we give them enough? Why do you exhaust yourself in cooking too? Genevieve answered, With money they will buy their basic needs, but they will never buy or cook this kind of food. Genevieve made sure that this be done in secrecy, either at 2 p.m. when it was very sunny or in the evening when the streets of Gerga have very few passers-by. If any of her children excused himself, whether because it was very hot or very dark, Genevieve used to tell them that the Lord Jesus protects from any danger all those who do good. Genevieve so loved the poor and the acts of mercy that good has never parted her home. Anybody who knocked at her door was given bread and food. One day, her husband noticed that she was being distributing. She had been distributing bread and food from morning until the evening. Assuming that there is no bread left, he told her, "You better bring yeast and bake." Genevieve answered in faith, "We will bake only on scheduled day every week." So it reminds me. This reminds me of the Blessed Father Solanus Casey story. Remember when they? were running out of food. They were running out of bread. And what did he say? Don't worry about it. It, it will come. But until it came, the bread just kept coming and they didn't run out until the bread truck showed up. So again, you know, your faith folks, this, this is all, all about your faith. Mother Irene tells us about her family was strong, excuse me, was strongly attached to St. Michael, the archangel. Genevieve hung his icon in the prayer room beneath which There was an oil lamp that was always lit. She feasted on his commemoration day every 12th day of each Coptic month by making bread and pastry. In the evening, she used to put the bread before the icon. And next day, she would find a cross made by St. Michael on one of the loaves. She took this loaf and put it in the flour to become a blessing for the storerooms all the year round. The bread covered all their needs and the needs of the families they helped. Regarding the acts of mercy, a big merchant in Cairo who knew Yassa, who is um, Mother Irene's father, tells us about how he is greatly indebted to him for his now very successful career. Yassa taught him the tools of the trade and was very generous with him. He supported him until his business flourished and until he became a very well-known merchant. He relates to us about Yassa's Christian attitude towards all his employees and all those who came in contact with him. He says, Yasa was very well off and was the owner of a very successful business and trade. I was one of his employees. He was accustomed to choose the day on which he made most profit each month, and on that day, he would ask all his employees, who were many, to pass by his office one by one before leaving. He would put all of the income of the day in a drawer in his desk, and whenever an employee came in, he would open the drawer a little bit and grab from it some money without counting and give it to him. This sum was in addition to our monthly salaries. Each handful was different from the other, but in each of us found what fulfilled our needs. In other words, the employee who had many children, the handful fulfills their needs, and the employee who needs less finds enough for their needs. Everybody was happy and content with what God had sent him as a blessing. Wow, don't don't we all wish that our employers were just so, so ingrained in their faith, so holy as mother irene's parents wow genevieve raised her daughters in an atmosphere of love for helping others as an example their neighbor a paralyzed lady living with her brother and his wife was often left alone when they traveled genevieve made sure that she was taken care of by her daughters they helped her eat clean her room and fulfilled all her needs Moreover, Genevieve also sent with her daughters a lot of food and sweets to the orphanages that were very poor and had no facilities at that time. She encouraged them to help the orphans clean up their place, and she asked them to take their measures to sew dresses for them. Basia spent her day praying with them and reading the Bible. Practicing these virtues at an early age was the seed that the heavenly father provided for the young heart opening up to new spiritual depths. I I don't know about you folks but I absolutely love this story because it's giving us so much background on mother Irene's parents and how she was brought up in just the just sheer beautiful or beauty of her parents in the righteousness of her parents that they both did literally everything they could and then some for everyone in need again these are perfect examples of how we should be uh, how we should be helpful to others and i know we don't have the money as as her parents did but there's things that, other things we can do you know Whether it's helping someone, like I've always said, holding the door for someone, helping someone with their groceries. Um, You know, if you see someone with a flat tire, help them. Um, Someone with car trouble needs a jump, help them. Um, Even if it's praying, we don't realize the power in prayer. Not many of us realize the power of prayer. There is so, so much power. Prayer is like a nuclear reactor times infinity. It really, really is. It's it's stronger than the sun. It really is. And I, I can't ever state that enough. And to offer prayers to someone is the greatest, one of the greatest things you can do. I mean, of course, if you have the physical means to help someone, by all means, please do. But do it out of love. Do it out of kindness. Do it anom- anonymously. If you can, just as, you know, her mother Genevieve did. She did it all, you know, at at noon when the sun was too bright to see people's faces. And, at you know, in the evening, at night, when there was very few people around that wouldn't see. Again, it's your motivation and your intention. You're not doing it to say, look at me, look at what I did. You're doing it to just help. Again, all of us being like Christ, being like Buddha, being like, uh, Muhammad, being like whoever you follow, whoever you practice, whatever saints, um, holy people that you follow and look up to and study, being like them, walking in their steps. And that's exactly how they are. Mrs. Fekayasa, Yassa, the sister of Fazia, tells us about the holiness and spirituality that she had witnessed. She says from her early childhood, Fazia, was a faithful and obedient child. She loved God from the bottom of her heart and prayed, fasted, practiced confession, received Holy Communion, and attended Sunday school regularly. She strictly followed the Coptic Orthodox faith that she cherished and was always anxious to keep pure. I recall once there was a lady whose husband worked in the town hospital who followed the Protestant sect of the Salvation of Souls, though all her family were Orthodox and her aunt's from her father's side were nuns in one of the Orthodox convents in Cairo. This lady held religious meetings at her home, attracting the simple-minded to her wrong beliefs. Now, I will object to that because I don't believe that the Protestant faith is wrong beliefs. I believe there are many uh, branches to the vine and many, you know, branches to the tree. The same tree. Not only this, but she also managed to hold weekly meetings in Orthodox Church of St. George with the consent of its priest. Again, the contri- contribution of money. Unfortunately, this attracted many followers of the Orthodox faith who were eager to hear the word of God. So if you didn't catch up, what's, what her sister is saying, is Sister Irene's sister is saying is that, you know, th- th- this person would pay the church to rent space when there was not services or mass to use for her Protestant group meetings. And, you know, but the thing is, is when people in the town seeing the church open, they thought it was mass, so they would show up. The Orthodox people would show up. So you can see how this would cause, you know, some confusion, which I'm sure, I'm sure they had disclaimers and stuff like that. I'm sure they weren't trying to mislead anyone. or I pray they weren't trying to convert and mislead anyone, but who knows? We'll see as the story goes. One day, Fazia was invited to attend one of those meetings that had become very popular. Fazia attended the meeting until its end, when she heard the lady asking the attendees to raise their hand if they have been redeemed. Fazia was upset to hear those words and started befriending the girls who attended those meetings and invited them to her home to tell them about the true faith and warn them from the teachings of that lady. She spoke to them about redemption, the importance of constant vigilance and repentance, and the importance of confession. She related to them the story of St. Macarius, who, whom the devil fought until the last moment in his life. As his spirit was leaving his body, the devil said, you have achieved salvation, Macarius. St. Macarius kept answering, not yet, until he reached heaven and then said, only now I have achieved salvation. And again, folks, we have to keep in mind the times back then um, and how people were in their faiths. Um, I know not much has changed today, has it, with people being rigid in their faith. Uh, but, you know, again, this is a safe place here. And I greatly welcome with open arms and an open heart each and every one of you regardless of what your beliefs are, regardless of what your faiths are. I know a lot of people are poo-pooing me on that. And, hey, no big deal. I've already been cursed by a bishop. Check out that episode if you haven't already. So, you know, there's pretty much not much else you can do to me, you know, because I've been cursed and that bishop took away the protection of God over me until I come back to him as if I ever left or as if I could ever leave or as if any of us could ever leave God. Adonai is in each and every one of us. We are created by the universe. We are created by God. We are created by Adonai. We are created by Christ. So how can you take out something that is you? You know, you can't. You can't. With God's grace and with Fazia's never-wavering faith, she attracted many, and the number of attendees of this meeting dwindled. The lady found out that Fazia, who wanted to become a nun, was behind it all. She wondered, and underestimated the faith of the young girl. In the next meeting, the lady, full of anger towards Fazia, insulted the great martyr, St. George, by saying that he is just like anybody else and that there is no such thing as saints or martyrs. Moreover, she insulted nuns and mocked at them in an inappropriate manner. Fazia stood up and criticized her word by word regarding what she said about St. George, the Prince of Martyrs, and about the angelic life of nuns. So we see, you know, this lady was hurt, and what happens when we're hurt or when we're afraid? Anger, hate comes from that, and this lady did, as we often do when our faith is challenged, we become quite angry. And when you are angry, you know, your wisdom is clouded. Your Holiness is clouded. Your Christ nature is clouded. You don't think, act, you know, from your heart. You're thinking and acting from your head. You're thinking and acting from a wounded ego, from the hurt I, mean, and mine. And I'm sure this lady was worried that, you know, here her you know, group was going to be dissolved by um, Mother Irene and her actions. Um, but instead of embracing it and speaking with Mother Irene and trying to come to some agreement, um, she lashed out, you know. And any you know, anytime you do that, it's never the appropriate thing, it's never the right thing. And it's very disrespectful to disrespect and attack someone's faith. We should never, ever do that. Regardless if you how much you disagree with their faith, never attack them. Never. The lady was struck with an epileptic fit and fell on the floor. Basia addressed the attendees saying, look, she is possessed by an evil spirit. Is it right to follow the devil? The responsible for the Sunday school class, excuse me, those responsible for the Sunday school classes were one of the attendees who admired her and later visited her family and encouraged her. But on the contrary the priest blamed her defending the true faith she boldly answered the priest father the martyr will be angry if that lady comes into this church again later she visited father Hanna Salama a pious priest and spoke with him he comforted her and promised to do something about this matter so it's it's up to you folks i don't i don't personally see this Protestant woman as cohorting with the devil. Um, Yeah, I mean, she should have never been in a a Coptic or Orthodox church um, and, and, you know, blaspheming their faith or counteracting or contradicting their faith. Um, But yeah, I mean, an epileptic seizure is an epileptic seizure. And um, you know, I I feel bad for the lady and it may have been brought on, it's probably brought on by all of the stress and anger and hate that she had for Fazia and those who did not believe or those who challenged or those who she felt was attacking her faith. On the same day at two after midnight, the church was wondrously lit and the neighbors heard clatter inside. They rushed in to find St. George circling around saying, this lady must not be allowed to come into this church again. Since that day, Fazia became more special to Father Hannah Salama. He supplied her with spiritual books, which I remember, the homilies of St. Jacob of Sarug, and whenever he held private masses, he asked her to attend. Remember, this recollection of this story is from um, Mother Irene's sister. The abundant grace of God has accompanied Fazia since she was born, and it was natural that God supports his chosen one. He surrounded her and her family with care and enveloped her spiritually. The spirituality lasted with her all of her life. In August, during the two-week fast of the Virgin, our sister abstained from food until the evening and broke her fasting with some bread and salt. She refused to eat all kinds of fruits. Once our mother offered her a fruit, but she refused and excused herself by saying that it had a bad smell. She strictly fasted during the regular periods, fasting of the church and led a very ascetic life. With her friends, she spent most of the time at Theotokos Church in Gerga, not only on Sundays and Fridays when masses were held, but also on most of the days of fasting. They spent their time in holy meditation and fervent prayers, then cleaned the church and finally ate some plain food and returned home. Basia, has committed herself to clean the church regularly because on the first time she did so with her friends, they received a consolation from heaven. This was on the 21st day of the Coptic month on which the church regularly commemorates the Virgin Mary. The idea of cleaning the church triggered when she saw that the priest was old and was unable to take proper care of the church. Dust covered all the benches and accumulated heavily everywhere. Moreover, the church was full of spiders. After a hard day's work, with the help of her friends, they managed to clean the church thoroughly. And as they were about to leave, the Virgin Mary appeared to them with a smile on her face and said, I am grateful to you for cleaning the church of my God and son, and which is dedicated to my name. She then blessed them and disappeared. Since then, Fazia regularly and happily cleaned the church on Saturdays. As her younger sisters were accompanied her and spent the whole day in cleaning and singing praises, we noticed how she efficiently distributed the responsibilities to each of us. Managing things was one of the gifts bestowed upon her by God. So her sisters pointing out that a very young mother, Irene, uh, was a good manager. She was, you know, would make a great abbess, and it shows, um, how that came about, or the beginnings of that. Also, God has granted her, when she was very young, the gift of consoling those who are older than her. I remember a neighbor who had lost her son and whom nobody was able to console. Fazia visited her regularly and read for her verses from the Bible until she was comforted. Moreover, she was gifted, too, with spiritual transparency, through which she saw forthcoming events. One day she said, Let's finish what is in our hands quickly because our neighbor will send her granddaughter to ask us for her help. After half an hour, exactly, our neighbor's granddaughter was knocking at our door and said, Please come. My grandmother needs you. We were astonished and asked how she has known this beforehand. She humbly answered, It was a devil who gave me this idea to fill me with pride and thus fall spiritually. So if you interpret that, no, she she said that statement to keep herself humble because you could actually you can see how easily someone with these gifts could really go to your head really quick and you could become the Long Island medium and you could be making millions of dollars going around, reading people, performing miracles and whatnot. And she, you know, said things like this to keep herself humble and to remind her that, you know, each of us are just. You know, one lean to the right or the left from darkness. You know, it's always around us. It's always um, in our face, especially these days with media, our culture, um, you know, everything, the media, everything with the Internet. I mean, you're nothing but a click away from just the darkest of darkness. And now back to the memories that were recorded by Mother Irene herself about her mother's strong faith in St. George. She says, my mother had a heavy gold necklace, which she used to wear on occasions only after the occasion she used to take it off and put it back in its box. Once, being busy with one of my brothers, she temporarily put the necklace in a pillowcase until she found the time to put it back in its box. Later, the maid came and, as usual, put the pillows in the balcony to expose them to the sun for some time. The necklace fell unnoticed to the street. At that time, there were construction workers in the neighboring building. Finding that the necklace is not in its place, my mother realized that one of the workers in the neighboring building had taken it. So my mother called on St. George to bring it back. When my father returned from work, he noticed that she was disturbed, though she tried to hide it. And when he knew that the necklace was lost, he asked her not to be concerned about this incident. She told him that, or he told her that faith of St. George, whom she has asked to bring it back. My father's response was, does St. George have time for such things? The necklace is lost, and the one who has taken it might have been in need of money. As soon as those words were uttered, they smelt a strong scent of incense, and St. George appeared and placed the necklace in the room before her. I know, some of you are probably going, Wow. Well, to do family with a maid back in those days and she lost a necklace and the gold necklace and she's praying to a saint to bring that necklace back. And, well, you know, the necklace had more than just the wealth or the money um, aspect to it. It had more to do with I mean, knowing as we've known so far about um, Mother Irene's father and mother, um, they were very virtuous people, and so you know we don't want to just see them as rich snobs saying, you know, hey Saint George, come and find my necklace and blah blah blah. It it wasn't like that. So please don't don't interpret this as that. But what I would like for all of you to take from this is something I was saying recently. Um, I forget which show it was on, but I was talking about again the What God Is Not podcast, which is just one of my favorite podcasts with uh Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia and Mother Natalia was talking about asking for things uh from Jesus, from the Theotokos, from the saints and angels other than the stuff that's you know life or death. And you know of course keep it something that keep it keep the prayer as something that is doable. You know, you're not going to pray for a million dollars or a brand new Lamborghini um or anything, or, or a million, million listeners to your podcast, but you know that's just not a reachable thing. That's not realistic. There you go. That's the word. You want to pick something realistic and pray on it. And as Mother Natalia did, she, well, to me, <laughs> that was kind of extending it. But, you know, she prayed for a friend for their child to be born on her birthday. And lo and behold, it happened. And she used that as her birthday wish, you know. Perhaps that's where blowing out the candles and making a birthday wish came from. Hmm. Interesting. If any of you feel like digging into that and let me know, please do contact me and let me know what you find on that. That was, that's, a, that's an interesting, uh, idea spirit just put in me. So maybe it, maybe it is so. Maybe that's where it came from is that you're not wishing, you're praying. And that's when you blow out those candles for your birthday wish. Mother Irene tells us about another miracle that has been performed through the intercession of Saint Ebram, who is also known as Anba Ebram, who lived from 1829 to 1914, a saint who was the bishop of El Fayom in the late 19th century, you know, the 1800s, and who is known as friend of the poor. In our house, we had a big picture of Anba Ebram, who is held in high esteem by our family. It was placed on a table and has not yet been hung on the wall. My mother often received some of her friends from church and a few neighbors too. Our town was small and all the families knew each other, and my mother was always careful to avoid gossip. See, I knew they knew each other, as I said before. One day on a visit to my mother, some of the ladies started gossiping about one of the families. My mother was careful not to hurt anybody's feelings, so she indirectly tried to change the subject, but she failed. Finally, she looked at the picture of Anba Ibram, and inside her asked for his intervention. Immediately, three knocks on the table were heard, but when the ladies looked around, there was no one. The gossiping started again, but this time the saint was seen emerging from his picture and with his hand. He banged on the table. Unable to interpret the meaning of this event, my mother told the ladies that the message is, instead of gossip, we should pray for those people. Amen to that. Man, you talk about if you any of you are into the paranormal, man, to be a fly on the wall in their home. <laughs> Their lives were just loaded with paranormal activity. Just amazing. Here he knocks on the table, and they continue to gossip. And he has to come out of the picture and knock on the table to get him to stop. Oh, my goodness. Mother Irene proceeds to tell us about her grandfather, Mata El Fazi or Fazi, F-A-I-Z-Y, and how much he loved the church. My grandfather used to gather all the members of the family every evening to say the prayers of Vespers at sunset and compline before going to bed, followed by reflections on some verses in a story or two after which we went to sleep. Being an archdeacon, or archdeacon, excuse me, my grandfather spent a lot of time at the church during the Holy Fast and Lent. And even at the age of 70, leaning on a staff, he spent most of his time standing up in prayer. Every now and then, He would rest on a bench in the churchyard, and many a time he was visited by a small child who had a small ring in one of his ears. The child would pull him from his garments and say, Stand up, Grandpa, to pray. Stand up, Grandpa, to pray. This child (laughs) regularly visited Grandpa for two years. One day, Grandpa was very tired, and the small child came to wake him up. Grandpa said, I, much, <laughs> I must catch this child and find out whose son he is. Grandpa ran after the child who had already ran into the church, then into the altar. Grandpa waited for him to come out, but he never showed up. So Grandpa asked the priest about the child and was told that it must have been the martyr Saint Kyrikos, Kyriakos, K-Y-R-I-A-K-O-S who was known as Abu Hulka, the one with a ring. So in the Coptic faith, an archdeacon is title given to a person who is in charge of vergers. And vergers, those who are responsible for doing some simple duties during the church services. That's, That's what vergers or vergers are. When Grandpa heard this, he sat down and cried, saying, Forgive me, God, smarter he, bless his heart. He prayed and fasted for three days. And on the fourth day, the child showed up and told him, Stand up and pray, Grandpa. To which he replied, Forgive me, God's martyr. I ran after you. The child said, I forgive you, Grandpa. <laughs> the child appeared to him daily until the day of his decease. And a strong relationship developed between Grandpa and the child martyr. Grandpa used to ask him to pray for the sick before God. The next day, he would give him an answer whether this person will be cured or that if they will depart, and that, after all, this is God's will. So the article actually gets into some more information. Saint and martyr, Kyrikos Saint Ulita was born in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, at the end of the 3rd century. They were talking the year 200, around that time. And the daughter of nobility, she grew up to be a rich woman. She was also a good Christian who spent her time in prayer and helping the poor. Ulita was married at a young age. and She bore her husband a son whom they called Kairikos. However, shortly after his birth, tragedy struck the family when Ulita's husband suddenly died. When Kairikos was about three years old, Emperor Diocletian, Diocletian excuse me, began his persecution against Christians. Worried about her son, Eulita took Kairikos along with two of her maids and fled to Seleucia in Syria. However, the situation there was no better than where they had come from, so they left and traveled to Tarsus. The governor of Tarsus, Alexandrus, was also very cruel and bloodthirsty and was known for killing Christians with his bare hands. And keep in mind, folks, this is a time period. These these folks, this story and and, uh, Mother Irene's family lived in Egypt, you know. So you've got to remember this was back in the ancient Egyptian days or thus not too long thereafter. Ulita also during the Roman period, too, where a lot of garbage was going on. Ulita and her companions lived as strangers among the people of Tarsus and were soon arrested and brought before Alexandros. Ulita realized that it was an invitation from God to martyrdom, since she could not escape persecution. She decided in her heart to remain faithful, to endure all kinds of pain until the end. Her only concern was the well-being of her son, Kereskios. When Eulita was presented to the governor, Alexandrus, he asked her, What is your name, beautiful woman? Eulita answered, I am a Christian. Showing irritation, he said, So you followed Jesus, whom the Jews crucified? Her reply was, I call upon his holy name, though I am not worthy. The governor then asked, Do you know that our emperor ordered the extermination of all Christians? Ulita answered, Yes, I know. Finally, Alexandros shouted at her, saying, Aren't you scared of death? Don't you want to save your beauty? To which Ulita replied, Governor, you must know by now that all Christians are willing to die for their Lord, the Christ. Your cruel tactics and severe abuse will only strengthen their faith. Alexandros became even more angry, telling his men, Bring me that child from the Christian woman and throw her on the ground and whip her with lashes made of cow's nerves. She must learn how to answer me properly. The soldiers grabbed Karykios from the arms of his mother and gave him to Alexandris. Ulita was then thrown to the ground and they started whipping her. The governor looked at Ulita, who was now covered with blood, and asked, Why don't you come back to your senses and save your life and your son's too? For if you agree to sacrifice to the idols, I promise to release both of you. Elita replied, you surprise me with such an offer, which even a child like my son would not accept. Alexandrius then said, in this case, let us ask the child. He looked at Karykios and said, son, would you agree to worship the idols? However, to everyone's surprise, Kyrakios answered, your idols are made of stone and wood. My real God is Jesus Christ. When Eulita heard her son's words, she was filled with courage and shouted, I am a Christian. I worship the real God, Jesus Christ, who created heaven and earth. Kyrakios, I'm sorry, I keep mispronouncing his name or say his name different every time. Kyrakios then started yelling, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. Now, one thing I want to add here, folks, is anytime something like this happens, where people are persecuted for their faith, it is so extremely wrong. We've talked recently quite a bit this season about the nature faiths and their persecution, which is still ongoing, as well as other faiths that are still ongoing. You know, people that are Muslim that walk around, you know, with the burqa, you know, the head covering, they're treated like garbage. They're treated like second class citizens or third class or fourth class or just looked at like they're terrorists. We don't know these people. So how dare we judge them? What I'm pointing out here really quickly, I'm sorry, folks, I don't mean to be taking up more time, is that this type of persecution happened all the time. And later... The Christians did the same thing. The Roman Catholics did the same thing to other people of other air quotes, pagan faiths. You either convert or you die. And that is completely unacceptable and wrong. So I just want to point that out here. Not taking away from this situation at all. I would never do that. But just saying, don't poo-poo on other faiths because they're all guilty of doing this at some point or the other, or even, sadly enough, still today. The soldiers started beating Yulita again, but she endured the pain with joy, giving her son practical example on how to remain faithful until the end. In the meantime, Alexandris was trying to attract the child's attention by playing with him. Kyrikyos kept shouting, I am a Christian, I am a Christian. The governor became even more angry and threw Kyrikyos with all his power to the ground. Kyrikyos hit his head against one of the concrete steps and died instantly to receive the crown of martyrdom. He was only three years old then. When Yulita saw her son fall dead in front of her, She sighed with relief since she was sure that he went to Jesus in paradise and that she did not have to worry about his future. She lifted up her eyes to heaven and prayed, thank you, my Lord, because you considered Karykios worthy of receiving this glorious crown. I ask you now, my Savior, to take me also, for this is my ultimate desire to be with my son in the heavenly kingdom where we can enjoy your presence With us for eternity. Elita's words angered the Roman governor, and he ordered that she be beheaded. He also ordered that the two bodies be thrown in a garbage dump. Elita was executed on July 22nd, in the year 305, while repeating the words, I am a Christian, I am a Christian. At night, her two maids took the bodies and hid them in a cave near Tarsus. When Emperor Constantine into the throne. He built a church in the same place where the mother and her child were martyred. Today, parts of the relics of those two saints are preserved in St. Mary's Monastery in the Valley of Nitron. It's N-I-T-R-O-N. There was also a historical church bearing their names in Tata. So for those of you who aren't aware of Emperor Constantine, Emperor Constantine um, is known as the Roman emperor who um, changed the religion of Rome, to Christianity. Mother Irene tells us about the virtue of charity, which she has witnessed in the life of her grandmother, Mata El Fezzi. I used to accompany my grandfather wherever he goes. I remember my childhood days very well. They are carved in my memory. My grandfather was a timber merchant, and he also owned a hatchery. When I was very young, I used to go with my brothers and sisters to his office. At the end of the day, he would call Mousa, the driver, to drop us back home, but I always insisted to stay with him, thus I accompanied him wherever he went until we returned home on condition that I do not tell anyone about what he was doing, and I used to promise that I will do so. Then he would ask me, what will you tell your grandmother if she asks you where I have been? And I replied, I will tell her that I do not know. And he would say, no, this means that you are lying. And I would reply, then what should I say, Grandpa? And he said, tell her to ask, Grandpa. (laughs) We used to ride on a horse carriage that was loaded with vegetables and fruits. Grandpa also carried envelopes that had different sums of money inside. When we reached a needy house, he would get off the carriage, knock on the door, and as soon as he hears the sound, of a latch being lifted. He would put down what he was carrying in front of the house and leave quickly before seeing. This is how he reached out to relieve the needy by himself. When we finally returned home and my grandma asked where we have been, he would tell her that he had work that he had to be done. Mother Irene proceeds to tell us more about the early days of her childhood, which reveal that her desire to become a nun as a cop, excuse me, occupied her mind ever since. I had a small chapel in which there were three pitchers one of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second of the Theotokos, and the last of St. George. All the three were anointed with holy oil. For them was an oil lamp that was always lit, and also fresh flowers that I brought daily. I longed very much to join an Orthodox convent, but I knew none, so I asked the Catholic nuns of my school, if I could join them on condition that I take my communion and make my confessions in my Orthodox church, but they refused. We can build a cell for you on the roof. My father suggested and jokingly added that he will be the head of the convent, but I long to lead a monastic life in the common. Bless his heart. Oh, that's so nice of her dad to offer to do that for my mother's sister, Aunt Mofida nicknamed Dida, shared with me the same longing for monastic life. She was a little bit older than me, and we played together the role of nuns on the roof, and we fasted for long hours and practiced asceticism in quest for the angelic life of nuns. We were eager to grow up quickly to become nuns and measured our heights daily with a piece of rope to see how much we have grown. In between us, we agreed that the older joins the convent first followed by the younger. Dida was very beautiful, and the family kept pushing her to get married. Finally, they succeeded to get her engaged. Before the marriage ceremony took place, Dida prayed tearfully before the Virgin's icon, saying, they are forcing me to get married, and I want to be a nun. Emerging from her icon, the Virgin Mary said, tell your mother that if they do not allow you to become a nun, the Virgin will take you as a bride to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we go. Paranormal hotbed. <laughs> Jeez, little Pete. So, so poor Dida's like crying on her wedding day when she should be happy, but she doesn't want it. She wants to be a nun. So of course, the Theotokos, you know, Mary shows up and says, you tell them either they let you become a nun or I'm taking you to, to my son. You're, you're I'll take you away from them. You'll die. When Dida told her mother about the vision, she taught. She thought, excuse me, that it was just an excuse to escape from marriage, and while Dida was making cookies and biscuits for the wedding ceremony, she was struck with a severe headache and immediately fell dead. Dida was living in another town, and since I received the news of her death, I have not stopped crying. I loved Dida, and I shared with her all of my aspirations. At the time, I was very young, at once we traveled to offer our condolences to Dida's family and attend the funeral. After spending the night there, I woke up and saw a vision. I saw many luminous virgins in white apparel, wearing diamond-like crosses, crowns on their heads. One of them was Dida. My heart was filled with happiness, and I said, Dida, how come? Who are all these? Dida answered, All those are virgins. Some of them were nuns, and others wished to be nuns, but were unable to become nuns. So they lived a life of chastity, and God equaled them to nuns. Today, we are going to visit martyr Saint Domenia and the 40 virgins to celebrate with them their feast. I asked for permission of Our Lady, or our Lord Jesus Christ, to visit you to console you and tell you how happy I am and to ask you to stop crying. I told Dida, take me with you. You look so beautiful. Take me with you. Dida replied, ask for permission of your mother first, and I am waiting for you. Being always obedient to my parents, I ran quickly to my mother and said, Dida, Dida is downstairs with many virgins. May I go with them? My mother said, how come? Tell her that we need you with us. Back to Dida, I said, it's a pity. My mother doesn't agree. She said that they need me. Dida answered, do not be sad. You will become a nun and you will be a mother superior and you will have many spiritual daughters. Then finally, you will join us. I asked Dida, tell me about you. Dida said, We are in paradise, and we are very happy. It is very beautiful, and what makes it so beautiful is the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in it. Later, I related what happened to the rest of my family. We were very happy when we found out this day was the day of commemoration of St. Domenia and the 40 Virgins. So, again, this gives validity to what... Mother Irene experienced because she was not aware that at the time Dida appeared that day was the commemoration of St. Demenia and the 40 virgins. So again, to me that gives validity to the story, to the experience. So it goes on to share a little bit about St. Demenia. I I actually, I so love this, this story story, this article, this representation of our life, because it gives us so much information. Saint Domenia, near the end of the 3rd century, so again the 200s, there lived a Christian man named Mark. He was the governor of El Borolus, El Zafaran, and Wadi El al districts in the north, northern delta of the Nile River in Egypt. Mark had only child, Mark's excuse me, Mark had an only child named Domenia. Her beauty and virtuous character were legendary, and her father loved her dearly. Domenia's mother reposed to the Lord when she was a young child, which means she she died when she was young. And her father did his utmost to raise her a virtuous Christian. Domenia loved to pray and read the holy books in seclusion of a room. When she was 15, her father wanted her to marry one of the noble friends. However, she refused. She said she had devoted herself as a bride of Christ and intended to live in celibacy and serve the Lord. Kemenya requested her father to build her an isolated house on the outskirts of the city where she could live with her friends away from the world and its temptations. Her father granted her wish and built her a large palace in the wilderness. Kemenya transformed the palace into a Coptic Orthodox convent for nuns, living the monastic ascetic life with 40 virgins. Domenia was their abbess. They spent their time fasting, doing handiwork, reading holy books, and praying fervently to God. At that time, Diocletian, the pagan emperor, began to torture and kill Christians who refused to worship his idols, Apollo and Artemis. When Mark was ordered to kneel before the idols and offer incense, he refused initially. However, after some persuasion, he consented to worship the idols. When news reached Demenia that her father offered incense before the idols, she reproached him severely. How could you deny your Savior who shed his blood to save you? What you did, my father, is cowardly and shameful, she said. Her father was moved by her words and bitterly repented. Mark traveled immediately to Antioch to see Diocletian. He made the sign of the cross in front of the emperor's soldiers and princes and all people and declared himself a Christian. Diocletian was furious and said, I have tried to keep our friendship, but you insult me in front of all. He ordered Mark to reconsider, but Mark refused. The emperor ordered Mark to be beheaded by the sword. The feast day of his martyrdom is commemorated on July 12th. It's Abib 5th in the Coptic calendar. When Emperor Diocletian learned that it was Mark's daughter, Amenia, who had persuaded her father to return to worshiping Jesus Christ, he ordered one of his commanders, who was a prince, to attack her palace with 100 soldiers. Diocletian ordered him, first, try to convince her to worship our idols by offering her riches and glory. But if she refuses, then threaten her, torture her, and even behead her and her virgins to make her an example for the other Christians. Domenius saw the soldiers approaching and prayed to God to strengthen their faith. He told her 40 friends, if you are willing to die for Jesus' sake, then you may stay. But if you cannot withstand the torments of the soldiers, then hurry and escape now. The 40 virgins replied, we will die with you. The prince relayed Diocletian's message to Domenia by saying, I am an envoy sent by Emperor Diocletian. I command you by his orders to worship his gods so that he may grant you whatsoever you wish. Cursed be to the messenger and him who sent him. Are you not ashamed to call stones and woods gods? There is no other god in heaven or on earth besides the one and only true God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Creator who has no beginning and no end, the omnipresent and omniscient God, who will throw you in hell for eternal condemnation. As for me, I worship my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his good Father, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. I profess him in his name, I will die, and by him I will live forever." And to those of you out there who are listening of other faiths, I sincerely and deeply apologize. Please do not be offended by anything that I'm reading and do not be offended by Mother Irene and her story and these stories of, you know, saints of her faith. Um, You know, beliefs are beliefs are beliefs, and everybody has different beliefs, and everybody has different interpretations of stories of their beliefs. And please, like I've said before, do not take it personally. Do not take offense. Absolutely do not take offense to what they're saying. This is just stating to you, you know, historically what was going on at the time and, and how these people lived and died and, and what they went through. You know, and of course, you know, persecution is persecution regardless. Anybody that they're persecuted because of their faith is that, that's to me, that's universal. That's you know that transcends labels. You know, religious persecution is absolutely, without a doubt, so very wrong. Everybody is entitled to their own beliefs. No two of us, if you all heard me say so many times and always will, no two of us believe exactly the same thing. All of us believe something varying, something different, something, you know, it's all based on our upbringing, our conditioning, our environment, our culture. Um, that influences our beliefs and our beliefs are always changing. So again, I just wanted to put that in there real quick for no one, please don't, don't take this personally and please don't be upset. um, Don't be insulted and please don't stop listening because this all in all, this is an extremely um, positive story that can give us so much strength and upliftment and healing and so much in here can be applied to your faith, regardless of what it is or isn't. So, of course, the prince was enraged with the and ordered her to be placed in the hembazin, which is a squeezing press, until her blood poured on the ground. When they put her, put her in prison, an angel of the Lord appeared to her, touched her body with his illumined wings, his glowing wings, and she was healed of all her wounds. She was subjected to additional tortures, but through it all, her faith sustained her. The prince issued an order for Dominia and the 40 virgins to be beheaded. Their martyrdom is commemorated on January 21st, which is Toba 13th in the Coptic calendar. Saint Dominia received three heavenly crowns one for her virginity, the other for her endurance of torture and a third for her martyrdom. She's the patron saint and was a, of Abu Sifian, Saint Philip Mercurius. So Mother Irene continues, I prayed and asked for the intercession of Saint Domenia. I told her that I do not want to be a burden to my father. pray that God sends me a treasure with which I can build a convent that encloses between its walls those who want to lead a monastic life. Okay, folks, so spirits tapping me on the shoulder, or I should say in the heart, to uh, pause here for now. We haven't had a two-parter in a long time, but I am not even halfway through uh, this story, so I don't want to wear out my welcome. So I will pause here for now. We'll get into... um the prayers requests and updates and then the closing prayer and we'll resume this discussion and learning more about uh, mother irene next week. I so hope and pray you all are enjoying this. I mean again regardless of your faith um please again don't take offense to anything that's being said. Don't be upset. Um if you have any uh, concerns or Need to speak with somebody, you are more than welcome to contact me. My contact information is the end of this show, end of every show. My door is always open to all of you. I love you all so dearly. And no, none of this is meant to be any harm. It's just educational purposes. And again, we have to take in consideration the date and time and the history, the culture, all of that when we're um, studying and learning these things. But I really hope you all have enjoyed this show and that you're looking forward to the conclusion next week of Mother Irene. Again, show of hands, how many of you up until this point have heard of Mother Irene? And all of these things, and we're not even halfway through. This is just literally mind-blowing. Like I said, Mother Irene, her family, her home was just a paranormal hotbed, and it was must have been just, like, amazing to call upon a saint and they show up, you know and i firmly believe they do they show up to us if you call upon intervention of a saint or a loved one that's passed they're there you can feel them i'm sure you if you are open to it they may not appear to us physically uh because our our minds and our eyes these days are so clouded um and obscured because of so much um we've been exposed to in our culture um, you know, in our by the media, by our governments, you know, and it's like the great Sogil Rinpoche used to always said, you know, say our, our minds are like a, a glass of muddy water. You know, it's just it's constantly clouded and you can't see through it. But if you if you are still, if you pray and you contemplate and you ask for intercession of loved ones who have passed, saints, you know, past and present. You can even pray to those who are still alive and they can help you through intercession, believe it or not. That's a show for another time and one we will definitely do sometime down the pike, but, um, you know, give it a try and just listen and feel with your heart as you're praying quietly, just sit in quietness. Some people call that meditation. It is a form of meditation, but just sit quietly. Or lay down in bed quietly with your eyes closed, just be careful you don't fall asleep, and if you do fall asleep, what are you what's in your dream? Did they visit you in your dream? so anyway, folks, I will pause here for now and we'll get to our uh, prayer request and updates and then our closing blessing. so again, thank you all so much, and I will wrap things up here. Let us close with a prayer from Mother Irene herself. The nominee divi Tri spiritus sancti would that each day we say to the universe i surrender to you my life let my heart and my soul and my body and my thoughts my night and my day and my life be all yours let it be fruitful amen this week's prayer request and updates are as follows. We lost our brother Ray this week. He fought very hard. Those of you who've been listening to the show know that he had lung cancer and, you know, he had issues with his good lung filling up with fluid. He went to the hospital a couple weeks ago to what we all believed was just to have the fluid drained from his right lung, which was his good lung. The left one was full of cancer. Uh, come to find out while he was there, um, there was he was having heart issues. So they did an ablation on his heart, and he already had 15 stents in his heart. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. Um, the doctor said it was successful, but the day after that, he flatlined, and it took close to 29 minutes to revive him. And those of you who listened to last week's show know that I was going to visit with him last Sunday. And I am very, very blessed uh, to have been able to do that and to have, you know, share some moments with Ray. He was still fighting at that time. Um, you know, he was on a ventilator, but he was able to communicate with his eyes and nodding and, you know, smiling. And, you know, he was very active. And while I was there, they actually took him off the ventilator and he was able to breathe on his own for a half an hour before they put it back on. But, you know as the week progressed so his health deteriorated and his family uh, my sister-in-law and nieces uh, decided to take him off of life support uh, this past friday so ray passed at 2:41 p.m. eastern time let us please keep stephanie and her children grandchildren and great-grandchildren in our heart thoughts and prayers for their mourning, and for their healing. Next is Bob, who we believe, we're going to say we believe, is uh, free of cancer. He had stage 2 follicular lymphoma. See, I'm going to say had, past tense. Uh, Bob went for a CT scan on the 17th. So um, let us please pray with all that is that, you know, his la- he's got labs coming up on the 22nd, so this coming week, let us please pray with all that is that he is in remission and that cancer does not return. Next is Mike S. Uh, Mike says he's doing really good. There is a medication that's really bothering him, but he's down to taking it once a day instead of three times a day, and he has to take that until March, um, and then he can go off of it, but his doctor has already said he could go back to uh, a normal life and normal activity, which is incredible. And he said he has not had one heart incident since that. So, wow, thank you all. Infinite thanks, blessings and love for all of your prayers for my guests. Please keep them going, that he continues to heal 100% and lives a very long and healthy life because he is doing so much for so many. We have a new edition this week, Reverend Donald Lewis. Uh, Reverend Lewis, had a massive heart attack this past week. He uh, has his own diocese and um, he was able to be you know, stabilized, but he's still in critical care uh, from what I have heard. Now, I haven't received any more updates, and I will let you all know when those updates are received. But can we please, please, please pray for Reverend Donald Lewis and his ministry. Um, this has been such a big shakeup that he has relinquished a leadership role um, of his ministry to his successors. And you know, let us pray that he not only heals, but heals 100 percent and is able to resume that leadership role in the ministry that he created and sustained. General prayers for health and well-being for Haven, Elaine. Lana, Megan, Molly, Gwen, Octavia, Clyde, Kathy, Michael T., Father Mike Cantor, Eddie Cantor, Emma, Jean, Doug, Tracy, Salma, Sister Mercy, Augustine, Cheryl, Risa, um, Elijah. I received a word from Andrew, his husband, that He is getting calls for interviews, so let us please keep the prayers going that the job finds him very soon. Also, I have no further updates yet on my sister's husband, Ron. I know he was supposed to go this past week for a fourth interview for a job that he is wanting. Let us hope and pray that that has either come to fruition or will. And also keep my sister, Tanya, in your heart, thoughts, and prayers with all of the stress that she is going through. And if you would like prayers, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. My contact information is coming up here next. I so hope and pray that you've enjoyed the show and that you found everything that you're searching for here and more with us. Please feel free to stop by anytime, all the time. You are family. If this show has helped you, please, please, please share it with as many people as possible. Also, subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever format you listen to. That helps move the show up in those formats so when someone does a general search, they're more likely to find the show. And if the show has really helped you and you have the means, please consider making an offering. Offerings are a great way to help sustain and improve the show as well as the Faith and More Ministry. Offerings can be made through the Cash App. The show's cash tag is sign Faith and More, or you can find us at cash.app forward slash Dollar Sign Faith and More. And don't forget about our YouTube channel. It's a fun place, folks. You can watch videos of weekly Ask Angel questions where people write me and ask me questions and I respond uh, on YouTube. You can also watch me do bi-weekly sermons and homilies. Also, audio of our shows are uploaded to YouTube where you can listen and much, much more. Just go to youtube.com forward slash at faith and more podcast. Next is prayers. I love to pray, and our Faith and More family love to pray. So let us pray for you. There are two ways to do this. The first is to email me directly at faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com. The second way is through our website. There is a form at the bottom of the website, and the website address is faithandmorepodcast.wixsite.com forward slash my dash site and there are always links to all of these in the show notes for and description for each show so until next time have a blessed week and know that each and every one of you are in my heart and in my prayers bless you